Hello and welcome to episode 108 of the Red Zone Restrictor podcast. I'm your host David Comerford and I'm joined by Farrell Keeling to discuss the Liverpool's 2 2 draw with Wolves in the FA Cup. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts. So Liverpool headed for a replay in the third round, went behind after an Alisson error, gifted a goal to Gonzalo Guedes. Liverpool managed to equalise shortly before half-time. Nunez ending his um, looks like goal drop since the World Cup with, with an excellent finish after a, a wonderful ball from Trent Alexander-Arnold. Then took the lead themselves with a, with a gift of their own, really, when um, Totti's size clearance fell to Salah. Wolves, however, were able to equalise through Huang. Thought they'd actually won the game uh, when Totti converted from close range after a corner, but there was a slightly controversial offside call. So the end result of that is um, another date with Wolves in, in midweek um, as we try and progress and, and continue the defence of the FA Cup. So we'll begin with three-yard match reviews, as we usually do. Um, I will go first on this one. And I've gone for deeply, deeply concerning, um, or maybe to avoid repeating myself, I'll go with deeply concerning <coughs> Um, feels like cheating when you use the same word twice and, and you've got three word allocation but the reason I've said that is quite simply I looked at the team relative team selections that Liverpool team was no obviously no Virgil van Dijk and we'll, we'll touch on that at some point during the podcast but aside from that looked really strong even looked a little bit exciting I allowed myself to get a little bit excited to see it play which um, was maybe naive of me given, given what we've seen so far this season Obviously, he's AB for Gakpo in there. Wolves, not only are, you know, are they near the bottom of the Premier League, but they'd fielded a weakened team, a few youngsters in there. And in those circumstances, Liverpool should have won comfortably. They should have won by probably three or four goals and um, and really just controlled the game throughout. The reality was they were lucky not to lose, I thought. The Salah goal, the rule for that, it has to go, really. I mean, the only reason Tossi's played the ball is because Salah's behind him in an offside position. Otherwise, Tossi would just leave it. So that rule needs to be changed. Um, and then their offside goal, they go with the on-field decision, which I think is is fair enough to do. It's not necessarily sure if it is a VAR issue, but apparently Wolves, what Wolves say, their tactical camera shows that the the player was actually onside. I think it was Mateus Nunes um, was actually onside when he receives the ball again. So Liverpool may be getting away with one there because of a, a blind spot in the technology. So it's one of them. Bad results. Needless replay. But um, in the end, you can count your blessings that Liverpool are actually still in the FA Cup. But what, what about you, Farah? What did you have for your three-word review and general assessment of the performance? Uh, well, I think my three-word review was uh, encouraging yet disappointing. Um, as I <laughs> with Liverpool, you know, it seemed like a really strong Liverpool of old sort of start. You know, that opening sort of five or ten minutes. You know, we were, we were pressing high up the pitch. We were aggressive. Uh, Gakpo seemed bright, if not a completely explosive. Um, you know, there were some good little bits of interplay there between him and Robertson, especially for the goal for, for Nunez's goal. I thought, you know. Um, him sort of underlapping to allow Nunez to come sort of more central, uh, you know, was, was really, I mean, quite ahead of what you'd expect 
for him, given that was his sort of debut performance. But just more of the same. I think you hit the sort of nail on the head. You're looking at the Wolves team that they put out with the youngsters and you're thinking, OK, we're, we're missing we're missing Van Dyke. But that midfield, that midfield was our strongest midfield last season. Um, and then, you, you know, you're looking at the forward line. Realistically, that should, you know, with all due respect to Wolves and Wolves played well, um, should be more than enough to handle uh, what they had to offer. So I just more concern, really. You don't really know what to what what to make of it. I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about it later. But you know, you look at these lads had like almost a month to prepare with the Dubai training camp to work out the kinks in the system. It's very clear, I think, that I'm not sure how much the training ground's going to be able to solve this issue. Yeah, that was the thing we were all banking on, and I did wonder in those sorts of autumn months as we talked about the World Cup all the time, whether we were almost setting ourselves up for a little bit of disappointment. And unfortunately, that's, that, that's the way it's proved. But I want to pick up on something you said there about how that was on paper, probably our strongest midfield. I think it's alternated this season at times. Certainly from an offensive point of view, you might have wanted Elliot in there over Henderson. Um, some people would argue that that might be cases would be in there. He's had a couple of decent enough cameos. But I think the overarching amount of the fan base would say, Fabinho, Thiago Henderson is Liverpool's best midfield. So to see Wolves cut through that midfield repeatedly last night, um, how much does that contradict what Klopp said before the game about midfield being a not being the problem? Because I think I, I I agree with what he says about defending as a team, and and that's why you know if a team keeps loads of clean sheets, it's like it's not just down to the back four and the goalkeeper; it's down to you know how they press from the front, how they restrict the opposition generally. But in this team, every single time you watch them, it feels like it, it, it just is that issue and it, it's, it's clear to see, really. Yeah, no, absolutely. absolutely. I mean, it, it, it's a weird one with Klopp because I think, you know, obviously earlier in the season, he acknowledged, look, we made a mistake. Um, I was wrong to assume that we had enough in the way of midfield options that you could kind of not fault him because we've, you know, we've got nine, ten midfielders on the books, okay, you could argue beyond Fabinho, Henderson, Thiago, the closest that comes to that quality is, is Naby Keita. And you've got, you know, a couple of really good youngsters. Oxlade Chamberlain's fallen off a cliff with injuries. But, you know, he came he came out, held up his hands, said, we need a midfielder. And obviously further down the line in the season, he's gone, actually, the problem's the system. Um, I, I think... I think there is a point there because you know he made a point directly after the Wolves game and he said, "Look, the fact of the matter is, is we're not winning winning challenges. It's not just the back line. It's not just the it's not just the midfield. It's across the pitch. We're not winning challenges. Ergo, we're too easy to play through." Um, I agree with that to a certain degree. I think there are systematic issues, and maybe that's something that again needs to be addressed um, with a formation change to compensate for that. But the idea, the notion that signing one pl- one more player, particularly a midfielder, where our main issues reside, wouldn't help matters is, is ridiculous. I appreciate he's probably coming from the perspective that he's well, he'll definitely be a bit more aware of what our finances and our financial capabilities look like at this moment in time ahead of the summer window down the line. But, you know, if Liverpool go for the the idea, well, you know, we'll, we'll stick put, we'll ride the storm, we'll manage, we'll get through and hopefully get to the Champions League spot. You can't take that risk because Liverpool aren't don't have the luxury of being in a situation where you go, in the summer, we only really need one quality midfielder. That's just minimum surgery. You're in a situation where you need two or three quality midfielders, which is difficult enough with Champions League football. You throw in the fact that you're playing Europa League or, God forbid, conference. 
you're just not going to get. I mean, look, you can you can still go off the fact that you know with Liverpool, we've only been out the Champions League places for a year. This is still a quality team with a quality manager, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, and that will probably work for a number of targets. But you know, you're looking at your Jude Bellingham caliber of player. I mean, you still got a convincing job, and that's if you've got the money. And what confuses me about about it is he makes those comments that you said about. I remember them quite well. He's like, I was wrong. You were right. We're going to go for a midfielder. Artur comes in, plays 13 minutes, gets injured. And, you know, who knows how much he's going to play for the rest of the season. It wouldn't surprise me if if, if he barely featured, especially if Liverpool do. If Liverpool go out of this competition, then that might be one of his big avenues for, for minutes lost. So you've essentially realised that the midfield is needed. You brought one in who hasn't been able to play, probably won't play a sign and that looks like very much it's going to be a failure and then you're not addressing that need again it doesn't really add up um to me um one thing I want to ask about Klopp and and that stance on midfielders and knowing about the budgetary limitations recently Antonio Conte um obviously Tottenham have been in kind of difficult form um prior to that game against um Crystal Palace the other night but he was talking about how well, he was essentially putting pressure on, on the Tottenham um, board for, for further investments this month, um, which has been a consistent theme of his tenure, basically saying, not in so many words, but I'm not being equipped to get this team to where it needs to be. Thomas Tuchel said that a lot um, last summer. Obviously, he ended up getting sacked by Chelsea. So it shows that um, you've got to be careful, I suppose, in terms of protecting the relationship. But is it one of Klopp's weaknesses that he seemingly isn't willing to put pressure on the ownership and is that something you know if he was there in the press saying no we're under equipped for this top four race is that something that is gonna um you know prompt the ownership to change its stance or is it one of them where it's sort of set in stone so much that it's not even worth uh creating the issue i i don't i don't think it's the case that he's not prepared to put pressure i just think he genuinely believes in the capabilities of his current squad you know, we, we've see, we've seen this um, the amount of commentary on, on on this particular issue about Klopp's loyalty to his players and and how you know you look at we've not signed a proper senior midfielder. I think Thiago has been our only senior midfield signing for the last four and a half years. You could argue Fabio Cavallo. That's where we eventually see him playing in the midfield, but he's not been signed as a midfielder. He's been signed to support the forward line and be there for the midfield occasionally. So Thiago Alcantara, which is, you know, don't get me wrong, a phenomenal, phenomenal midfield signing, but our only senior midfield signing. And you can argue there's there's factors around this. There's COVID. There's the financial impact of that. Um, so that there are explanations, but those explanations, of course, aren't good enough because of where we are right now. In terms of Klopp's relationship with the owners, I, you know, he's dropped hints before, hasn't he? He's, he said, you know, about the money and, and all this, that and the other. Um, I, I think loyalty does come to, to you know, does factor in. Um, but I do I don't think necessarily he'd have a problem calling out the owners. I, I just I just wonder how desperate things have to get before he does. Um, because ultimately, I think if you compare, you mentioned Tuchel, and obviously the difficulty with Tuchel is he was com- well, he was around when there was a change of ownership, and the change of ownership, uh, Bowley had a very different idea about how Chelsea should play, uh, tactics specifically, and of course the players that should bring be bringing in. There was that whole spat about Cristiano Ronaldo. Um, Klopp has got a lot more credit in the bank 
uh, with the owners. The owners love him. He's got a great relationship with all their executives. So it, it, it's a different situation. I, I can I can see, you know, there's still going to be tensions if you're, you're putting pressure on your ownership. But, you know, you, you look at, you, <coughs> sorry to deviate slightly, but if you look over sort of the pond um, and you look at sort of the Red Sox and look at the pressure that the fans have been putting on um, the side there uh, to, to, you know, provide, provide contract signed players, that kind of thing. I, I think... I think FSG will relent if if it's perceived to be a particularly desperate situation. I don't think Liverpool are being greedy in this situation by by saying, look, you know, we need a midfielder. We need it not ju- not just simply because you're looking otherwise at buying two to three midfielders in the summer, but because you know it, you're looking. We need legs. We need dynamism. We need energy in that mid middle of the park. Um, I, I don't want to say it's on Klopp completely to to get that arranged to put pressure on the ownership because I think that's perhaps a slightly unfair unfair thing to suggest um you know i think we should we should you know we, we lord clock for when his loyalty pays off um i don't think we should aggressively hound him for when it doesn't um but it's worth pointing out it's one of them where if he is saying it to adhere to the party line then i think that's an issue but if he genuinely believes that there's no midfield is needed in this window that that's a bigger issue for me but to kind of come back, I suppose, to to last night and where and what it says about Liverpool in, in the grand scheme of things. I saw a tweet that's kind of stuck with me, and um, I, let me try and let me try and find it because uh, I'm, I mean I'm not really sure what what the hash of is like a search query for this one. Cause, um, <laughs> it started with "We are shite." Um, so... <laughs> <laughs> the classic three. Yeah. yeah so, um, but but genuinely, like. Yeah, I can't seem to find it at the moment, but essentially it was along the lines of we're just right now, and it's reductive, I think, for a fo- football podcast to make this point, but the tweet was essentially just, we're not very good. Um, I think I know the one you mean. Yeah, is it something along the lines of, we're not very good, the good times have gone, so just yeah. appreciate that they've yeah been and gone. Yeah, appreciate, appreciate the good the good times as they were, recognise that they're gone, and, you know, just, um, just if you accept it and you you realise that the team's best days are past and then it's going to make the, the rest of the season um, easier to endure, I suppose. And then any source of um, things that surpasses your expectations is a lot more kind of joyful, I suppose, in tandem with that. So I don't think we'll talk too much about the bleak view of the future. Um, but in terms of the crux of that point, is it the case now, you know, we've seen this World Cup break has been and gone. Um the team we fielded last night, you look at it, and, and there were some decent aspects of performance, but generally the the, main, the same problems are there. Um, is it the case that Liverpool just aren't a very good team at the moment? You know, I don't know whether we should fully get into the, the client side of things, but do we just have to look at it and say, you know what, we're actually just quite bad? <laughs> I... I... I, I don't know. It, 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 it's it's a re- it's a hard one because I think look I think Klopp's got a point when he says the systemic issues that need to be solved, and I, I agree that signing a midfielder, signing whoever, isn't going to fix absolutely every problem. I think it's going to fix a few things, and I think it at least give you the best shot of making top four football. Then you you've got top four football. You can attract the best possible players. You have the money to, to commit to major surgery in the summer, which is the main thing. It's just about surviving. Getting top four football, end of story. I, I, Liverpool. The thing is, the way Liverpool are playing, 
you can't look at that and say we're an amazing team we're fantastic but there are glimpses there are moments like even in the first five ten minutes as we're talking about with Wolves there there were glimmers where you looked and thought fuck me you know this is this is the Liverpool of old this is a really really good Liverpool side they're pressing they're aggressive they're hungry Alisson concedes a howler and we just sort of step inwards we look meek uh, completely lacking any kind of confidence and you know just just it's too submissive. Um, I, I, I think. I mean, we, it depends how far we deep we want to go into, into fan psyche here at the moment. I think at, at this point in time, the one thing Liverpool desperately need is the fans behind them, um, home and away, just creating that atmosphere and just backing backing the team. It, it, the problem is if we slip into this mentality and, you know, I think we can accept Liverpool playing poorly. We can accept Liverpool need a lot of things to change. But if we slip into this mentality as a fan base that we, you know, we're crap, it's going to be a crap season. Um, I, I think there's an uh, there's an element of sort of self-prophesizing sort of going on there. You'll kind of get what you're given. Um, I I keep going back to the fact that this 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 same team, this largely unchanged team, is still the same team that almost won the quadruple last term. I refuse to accept, and you know, perhaps this is being a bit daft on my part. I refuse to accept that they've all just suddenly forgot how to be good footballers. You know, I, I, this is ultimately. I think the best way to sum this up is this is a team in transition. You know. We, we, we sold Sajimani, we brought in a fantastic but raw uh, striker in Darwin Nunez. We, we, you know, you can see that the makeup of the team is changing um, gradually. And I think this is just going to be one of those seasons where we look back on and I think you would go, yeah, Liverpool were a bit crap for like large parts of that season. Hopefully we've got top four football by that point. Um, and we look at it and think, you know, this was a, still a really important season in terms of betting in certain players, in terms of bringing in new ideas critically and realising where we needed to go. It's one of them. And another tweet I saw after the game yesterday was, is it transition or, or is it decline? Um, and I suppose that just comes down to how optimistic you feel and really and I think in terms of the challenge for the fans it's like if you look at kind of map out the club here you got the first year where we finish eight but we're in that Europa League final the second year back into the Champions League year after that Champions League final year after that win the Champions League win the Premier League then you obviously have the season where injuries just you know derail everything that one's almost an anomaly you just cast that to the side last season domestic cup double nearly winning the Premier League and Champions League there's always been a sense of the team is making the next step, really. This is the first season where it feels like the team's underachieving, I'd argue. And it feels like um things might be on the downward side. And that last season might have been kind of the dramatic like climax of this team. So I think that, that that's what is difficult for the fans to process because it's so it's just not at all what they've been used to um under Jürgen Klopp. And, and they used to think that the days of because it kind of feels a little bit like um I don't want to say, but it feels a little bit like the Brendan Rodgers era in terms of where <laughs> Liverpool are at, like as, as a competitive force, not necessarily making comparisons between what's actually happening on the pitch, but in terms of where Liverpool are actually at in terms of their level. Um does kind of feel that way. So I, I think that's difficult to adjust to. Um and yeah, I mean, in terms of like how it can go so wrong in terms of last season, it's the question that we've kind of tried to answer all year. And the answer that I've settled on at the moment is that the way it ended and, and suffering heartbreak twice in the space of a week is literally just finished them 
in terms of their confidence and emotionally they're just um still suffering from that um and maybe that's just too easy an explanation and ignores a lot of other issues but i think it, that's a big factor and a lot of other things are catching up with them in terms of minutes lack of investment all things like that um but let's actually talk a little bit more about the game itself um you mentioned Allison's error there. I don't think we should get into that in the sense that he's probably been Liverpool's best player this season. Oh, by a mile. Yeah, every goal, mile. every goalkeeper makes um, a couple of mistakes over the course of a year. So we'll just put it down to one of those. He's he's, he's probably not going to do it again, hopefully. Um, in front of him, he had Ibrahim Akinate and Joel Matip. A taste for Liverpool of what the next month or more is going to be like without uh, Virgil van Dijk. Uh, how did you think that went? I, I mean, I thought Calate was quite good. Um, I, I didn't think Matic was bad either, but there was, you know, that period. You, you, you saw, yeah, I mean, you saw the Allison goal almost happen, how the coming, because you had that moment when Matic sort of dallying about in the box, you know, gets pressed and almost, you know, concedes the ball, a horrific area to concede the ball. Uh, so he gets away with it there. Um I, I, yeah, I thought I thought they were all right. I thought they were all right. I, I didn't have a major problem. Again, it all comes down to um, this is you know, we talk about it all the time the midfield and how easy it is to play through us. I think at times I think the, the back line gets far more slack than it than it should get because ult- ultimately we don't really have the legs in midfield to offer genuine protection across the back line. So they're having to deal with an awful lot. And they're having to deal with an awful lot more than a Liverpool defence has used, been used to dealing with. You know, let, let's be honest here. You know, we've got some world-class centre-halves and we've got, we've got a world-class back line, to be honest with you. But if you have a cert, if you have a back line playing a certain way with the understanding that they're going to get that protection, you know, from Fabinho, you've got runners in midfield and you, you, you set up in a certain way and I think it changes your mentality because you're suddenly like, well, hang on, you know, we, we, we only have to deal with like the odd the odd few, you know, attacks here and there, you know, usually we had the cover in front of us. So your whole mentality around the game has to change. And I think people don't appreciate that, the impact that's, that is having, and this, this is why, you know, I'm, I constantly bang on about the need for us to sign a midfielder because yes, it's not going to solve everything, but, you know, part of the impact of the, the lack of midfield protection, it's having impacts across the pitch. You bring legs in the midfield, you, you're not going to completely solve that, but you're going to make a dent in the issue at the very least. Um, so that's my main bugbear. Um, yeah, I thought they, I thought they played well. I, I think, yeah, it's the same thing with the Allison issue. I think there's like a sense of nerves um, around our players. You, you look at that Allison area, you just think you just wouldn't, you just wouldn't make that mistake last season. You, you'd be considered, you'd be careful. But there's so much, I, I don't know. There's, there's so much worry about what could go wrong that you know we're, we're making that these scenarios happen. That makes sense. Yeah, I think you make a great point about the, the, how the nature of the task of the defenders has changed. We probably underestimate how, how difficult it is for defenders to, you know, deal with situations where they're running, they're retreating backwards, and they're kind of outnumbered or or, or matched up to to opposition attackers. And what you want is for everything to really be um, in front of you, and and you to, everything to kind of be stable. And like you say, you know, the Wonderful were at the best; they were winning the ball back constantly and sustaining attacks. And the other team, if they did try and, and get out, we're having to resort to kind of hopeful long passes that Liverpool could just sweep up and restart. So it is not what they're used to at all. That said, I, I agree that Canate had a pretty good game. Matip, 
was poor, but I don't know how much to read into that in terms of Van Dyke's absence because generally Matip is is really good. Um, I think Liverpool are. I do think we're going to suffer from the absence of Van Dyke just in terms of. Uh, I mean, the defense has hardly been organized this season, but I think it's one of them where you're going to find out. Maybe the absence of, will do Van Dyke a favor in that he's faced a lot of criticism this season, but if Liverpool struggle even more without him, then it does show his enduring importance, I suppose. Um, <clears throat> so we'll see about that in the coming weeks. Um, and we've got, what, 25 minutes or so into this podcast and we've not talked about Liverpool's um, new signing yet, making his debut, um, Cody Gakpo. Um, what did you think? Oh, honestly, I, I was... Um... I thought there were a lot of encouraging signs there. I thought it was really, really good in that opening. Basically, where we were playing like the Liverpool of old and we were pressing, we were aggressive, we were hungry. I thought it was fantastic. I thought I could really see this guy um, making an impact in this Liverpool squad for years to come. I thought it was really good. Even even later on in the match, as I said, I mentioned the Nunez goal. I thought it was movement there. It was just instinctive. It was just superb. I think he's going to be a really good addition. I think he was... I think, I think, again, I think he's a player that kind of suffered when the the team as a whole sort of fell apart and it, it was just, you know, service as normal um, and just, just discord across the pitch. Uh, what, what, what do you think? Well, I keep coming back to this one moment where, and I've not really seen too many people acknowledge it, where I think Salah gets the ball on the right and he's got a few players around him. But if you look over to the opposite side of the pitch, I think someone's marking Nunes, but Gakpo's completely free. And I'm like, he just has to get the ball to him here because it, it's exactly the kind of position that Gakpo has scored so many goals from uh, for PSV, just kind of coming in off that right-hand side and he can almost have passed it into the opposite corner. Um, Salah couldn't get the ball to him. And if you look at Gakpo, he just kind of stood there like, and he almost throws his arms up in the air a little bit. He's like in a little bit of disbelief because in his mind, he's obviously played it out as, I'm going to get the ball here and score my first ever goal in front of the cop. Um, I think it, it was mixed debut in the sense that not in terms of anything he did wrong as such, but like in terms of the fit as a signing, like he wasn't really, you know, if you look at Luis, Luis Diaz debut, he was taking on players left, right and centre. Gakpo clearly isn't going to do that, which, you know, clearly it's it, it's good sometimes to have players of a different profile and in different positions because it gives you flexibility. But maybe you do want a little bit more 1v1 threat from, from Liverpool winger. Obviously, it's early days still. Um but yeah, I mean, some good aspects. Like I thought, there was a few moments where he's coming back to provide cover defensively, which is good. Um, some of the combinations with Robertson, Robertson, like you mentioned earlier. Um, and to be fair, you know, I think there are going to be, and there already have been, some people asking questions at the signing based on he didn't even play ninety minutes in this game. Um, that's the one thing we've absolutely not got to do because um, it's just ridiculous, really, to to even think about. Um, seriously criticising a player before they've even finished a, a full game. You know, you've got to, in truth, give them until the end of the season, I suppose, before you're making any real um, judgments on them and uh, hopefully you can uh, get amongst the goals in the next few weeks because I don't think he necessarily has to produce the, the best performances all round straight away, but um, without without Diaz there and with Nunez being maybe a little bit inconsistent in front of goal, you need that um, extra goal threat in the side. Um and that brings us on to some of the positives from last night. Um, as we come into the final few minutes of the podcast, it's good to maybe um, at least have a little bit of optimism in there. So 
Nunez ending his goal drought. Amazing assist by Trent. And I'd venture that you could also include the performance of Mateus Nunez off the bench for Wolves as well. Yeah, no, the, the, the Mateus Nunes one was was interesting. You get plenty of sort of fans online saying, you know, this this guy knows he's potentially destined for a Liverpool move, and this was like such a huge audition, you know, moment for him to sort of show off his his, his skill set. I'm I'm gonna go off a tan and a slight tangent here and and, th- and say that you know the whole the whole Nunes situation, uh, Mateus Nunes uh, situation, really confuses me um, around regarding the reports that were signing him in the summer because you look at you know what we could have signed him. Last summer for was it 37, 38 million pounds? Yeah. Now it's, yeah, now it's gone up but to, to 40, 44, is Four, it? 44. Yeah, 44. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, what's that about? You know, how on earth did, did we did we not venture out for for him? You know, when we knew when we knew what our current sort of midfield, I suppose you know we'd just come close to the quadruple. Um, but you know, so looking at it, it was slightly less than roast into glasses. But you know, just such a bizarre situation that. Um, regarding the potential summer signing there. Um, yeah, I, th- I thought he was really good. Added, added a bit of control to that Wolves midfield. You looked at him and you thought, you know, oh, he's, he's the kind of player we could have brought, we could have done with bringing up. You know what I mean? I thought Kaita was really good, to be honest. I thought he actually, even, you know, I, I know we, we conceded whilst he was on the pitch, um, but I thought he added a bit more stability and control. I think the problem is he's, he's probably really the only Liverpool midfielder that's offering that. Um, in, in a large quantity at the moment. Um, so, yeah, again, I was just looking at the Nunez and just thinking, well, you know, if we had, if we had you know, him and Kaiser on the pitch, you know, this, this might, we might be actually able to control this game a bit better. Yeah, I, I, was, I was really impressed. I thought he had the combination of, um, of physicality, athleticism and, and kind of technical skill that we don't really have in, in any, or, or if we do very few of our, of our current midfielders. Um, the whole thing with the deal is, I, I get it from the standpoint of you're only paying an extra what you know seven eight million, um, yeah. And you want to see, you just want to make sure that he can perform in the Premier League. I, I think on the flip side, you did you were able to watch him in the Champions League last season, um, for for Sporting, um, and you have brought players directly from the Portuguese league before, mm-hmm. obviously in, in in Diaz and, and Nunez. So maybe you should have just. You know, just took took the plunge with them a little bit, put more faith in your kind of scouting team who've identified them, and obviously with, like you say, the midfield situation that we had, we we definitely needed someone, and it was this thing, wasn't it, finding the perfect player, and maybe Mateus Nunez was kind of ninety out of a hundred on their um on their scorecard, but they 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 weren't satisfied with that. But right now, it looks like we could have just done with um we didn't nece- we don't necessarily need perfect. I don't think we just need you know. I think sort of the more serious the issues, the less perfect the solution has to be. In some respects, you, you almost just need the the profile um, in there. Certainly for a top four chasing team, maybe not for a title winning team, but you know, I think to, that that kind of thing makes a difference in um, a Champions League battle when you can, um, you know, when you can address systemic flaws like that. Um, final sort of couple of questions then, Farrell. Um, replay next and then well I'm not sure when this replay is going to fit into schedule to be honest but we've obviously got one now and then we've got to go to Brighton in our next game so uh, one of those games is unwanted and the other one has to be considered pretty daunting Um, you look at what they did to us at Anfield earlier in the season it feels like a game that could get ugly for Liverpool to me 
Yeah, no, I, I very much agree. I'm, I'm, I'm quite worried. I think their um, their recent goal record is, is pretty decent as well. They seem to have really found their feet under Dzabi. Um So it, it, it's it's it could be very tough. It could be very tough. Bizarre, bizarrely, I'm feeling a bit more confident about the Chelsea game um, than I am against uh, than I am with the Brighton one, uh, which, which is which is saying something. I, I think. I don't know. I, we had this earlier in the season, didn't we? We were having issues, and everyone was like, "I switched the four, switched to a four-two-three-one." You know, Mel, make changes to the formation. We made changes to the formation, and there seemed to be instant improvements from like the first game, and then it just all went to shit directly after. And then so we went, "Okay, well, clearly it's not the formation that's the issue. Just stick with the four-two-three. Stick with what they know." But again, we're here, and it almost seems suicidal to keep playing a four-two-three when your midfielders are underperforming to this extent. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit worried, to be honest with you, <laughs> Yeah, I think, I just look at it and I think the only teams that I feel confident I was beating right now are teams where they're also dysfunctional for whatever reason. Um, and it's also like we're the lesser of two footballing evils in, in that way. Um, and I just think for managers like Deserbi, who are renowned for their tactical intelligence. I mean, it's not difficult to pick a way through this Liverpool team, but if you're kind of a, a proper tactician, you can probably think of ways to not only exploit them, but to just um, completely destroy them, um, to be honest. So, listen, we've got we've got a week on the training pitch before then. Um, like I said, it hasn't made too much of a difference up to now. Um, but if, um, if nothing changes between now and then, they're pulling for a kind of a a pretty grim afternoon um, against Brighton. So, yeah, there's still a good few weeks of January transfer window left to go and, and the um, the need is clear. And I, with no kind of evidential basis for this at all, I do think Liverpool will bring in a midfielder because FSG, I, I, I believe, are mostly concerned with ensuring that this team isn't necessarily a winning team in terms of trophies, but is a team who can finish in the top four year on year and bank the Champions League money? That's probably not going to happen. And if they recognise they recognise that reality, then I think they will um, free up money for a midfielder. But we will see about that. So thanks very much, um, Farrell, for jumping on. Um, if you are watching on YouTube, as we're going to be uploading our podcast and video form now, remember to like the video and subscribe to the channel. If you're listening on Spotify, um, please do uh, like the podcast, uh, give it a five star review. And follow it so you get um it pops up in your feed and you can get notifications too for each episode. But yeah, we will be back um for the next one soon with hopefully a little bit more um optimism um after a couple of, of grim games to start the new year. But yeah, thanks for listening and until then, take care.